and welcome to Grace's Gritty. This is Kiki Wallen here with my co-host Allie Morrow. And tonight we are going to be talking about, um, you've heard that saying, it takes a village, takes a village to raise a child, it takes a village to do anything really. And we're going to be talking about the new village of virtual reality and how we're all so desperate for community. And in a sense, we're more connected than ever, but in another sense, we've never been more isolated um, and longing for that genuine human connection. So um, Allie, let's jump right in. Hey. Hi, how are you doing tonight, Kiki? Good. I'm ready. I'm excited to talk about this because I know it's something that we're both like passionate and um, have been talking about a lot just in our friendship and there's a lot to discuss. Um, so yeah, where, where do you find yourself, Allie, like starting off um, kind of like, where are you coming from? I know that you guys are down in Texas now, so you've got a new community um, that you guys have a little house now you just moved into. So you probably have a lot of new beginnings and obviously coronavirus has been strange for everyone, but I guess, what are your initial thoughts on, um, the new village of virtual reality or, or all of us longing for connection and not knowing how to find it and how does that affect you specifically? That's a that's a, a lot of questions. Loaded. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, really loaded. Um, well, first off, yeah, so we, yeah, we, we moved to Texas actually um, in, in July. And um, yeah, it took a while for the, the pieces to kind of fall into place as far as like, you know, work and housing and uh, finding a good church community and, um, you know, making new friends and stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, it took a while, but you know, God is very faithful and he's very good. And, um, it's been such a blessing because, you know, something that had really been on my, my husband and I's heart for, for a while, cause we, we moved from Florida and we absolutely loved, uh, where we came from. It was a beautiful place. You know, the beach was literally, we lived on a peninsula. So like there was, the beach was like 15 minutes in any direction, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a lot of good things about it, but, um, you know, we just were like hungry for like authentic, uh, real, um, intimate community with like-minded people, with good and faithful Catholics. And it, it was just really hard because we lived in Florida, um, since we got married, but we just felt like, you know, not that we didn't have friends like we did, but we just both felt like we, um, we were not being fed, um, with really authentic community. And, and it was something that we were, we really wanted. Um, and we just found that all of our friendships were very, um, kind of surface level, not to knock the friends that we had at all. It's just, um, it's hard when you, when you only have a certain commonality with people, you know, um, mm-hmm. and it only goes to a certain extent, you know? And so, um, we just had been praying a lot and thinking a lot. And then, you know, everything with COVID happened and 2020 has been an absolute mess. And, we were like, well, like, let's, let's like really pray about this. And we'd actually been praying about, um, Texas for a while for a number of reasons. Um, and God just really kind of led us here. And since we've, we've come here, we have found a great, um, super traditional, um, Catholic church community that we absolutely love that is like brimming over the top with, um, you know, young families with lots of young kids, meals in Sunday school. And there's just mm-hmm. lots of young families. Yeah. So it's so great. Like we've met so many great families and great friends already, um, through that, um, church community and stuff. And, uh, and yeah, it's just been, it's been a real blessing. And, you know, even just, you know, for me, you know, I take the kids to, you know, they have to get out of the house, like take them to the park or different places and stuff like that. And so I've God has just been so good. Cause it's been like on my heart for so long to just like praying to find like good mom friends that are, um, that not only like our kids get along and like, we can like talk and have a good time, but also that we have things in common more than just our kids. Cause like, yeah. I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. I feel like something that is kind of hard as a mom is like, you know, you, you make mom friends, but sometimes it can be hard to find mom friends that you have more in common than just your kids. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's hard. So, but anyway, God has been really good. And I found, I've met like a lot of great mom friends that we have many things in common, our faith, our, um, our mindset, you know, the things that we value, which is really great. So, uh, so yeah. So anyway, with all of that, yeah, it's been really great. So, but with all of that, I've kind of just been thinking about, 
you know, you were, you said at the beginning of this episode, this idea that, um, you know, it take we all, we always say this thing, it takes a village, you know, we, it, it takes a village to, to, to raise, raise children, to, um, to kind of build up a, a community that is good and, um, loving and, you know, intimate and just all these different things. And I just have been thinking a lot about how there's been such a shift, especially in the last 15 years, especially with the age of, um, the internet and just how quickly the internet has advanced and technology has really come to rule every aspect of our lives that, um, you know, we're no longer primarily building community around us in our own, you know, towns or, um, you know, suburbs or, or communities like that. That's, it's usually now, unfortunately, secondary because we've seen this shift in the last 15 years from building it around us to going to build some kind of community online, which not to say that you can't find community online, but there's always going to be, um, a lack of, um, true authenticity there because it can only go so far. And really, you know, while there can be aspects that are, you know, true to real life, you can portray things that are true to real life or true to what you're going through or whatever. Um, at the end of the day, it's not reality. It's curated content and it's, um, a portrayal of a reality that is actually going on like in, in a physical, in a physical way, um, that people online can't see. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I think it's scary because we haven't even noticed. I think part of it is because technology is so new, like you're saying in the last 15 years or so that it's grabbed our attention, like any, any novelty does. And so as we're, I feel like we're constantly enraptured by it for so many reasons, but one of them being that it's new. So we, we have to discover it. How does it work? The, like the latest update, the latest social media platform, the latest this, the latest that. Um, cause like as a humanity, like we're all still just learning it because it's so new in the course of human history. Um, so I feel like it has our attention for that reason. And also because in this fast paced world, especially fast paced American culture, it's so efficient, right? It's seemingly, seemingly efficient that I can just call this person this quick. I can shoot this, this text. I can this, that, you know, I can like essentially like work on my relationships really quickly. Um, but that efficiency just doesn't really translate to the human heart. It just doesn't. And so I feel like what we're seeing is. I just keep seeing in so many different aspects that we're beginning to, as human beings, we're beginning to treat all aspects of our life as if they're screen deep. Um, because like you said, technology, I think you just said technology has come to rule every aspect of our life, like it or not. And it's almost like you, you don't fit in the culture. If you, if you don't have Alexa, if you don't have, like, I don't, I can't just be like, Alexa, unlock my house or whatever, you know, like, I can't do that. And I, I notice how different that is from most people um, and how I stand out a little bit that I don't have that feature in my home. Um, and it's almost like if you want to keep up with those around you, even like your closest friends and family, you have to get the latest thing and have to be even more engrossed in technology. But like you were saying, um, it seems like the reality is that technology as an instrument is not building more genuine connections. Um, it's not actually bringing us together. If anything, it's dividing us more than we realize. And I think all of us or a lot of us try to temper our technology use. Even like I try to monitor my screen time, especially when it gives you that like weekly report of like your screen time was up this much this week or down this much this week. That's super helpful because I feel like I'm getting an average of, okay, I really need to like put my phone away more this week or like, Hey, I was down an hour a day, you know? Um, where is it going with this? Last my train. I've seen in, um, as I'm trying to moderate my usage because it's just so easy to just open it back up and like, you're bored for a second. So like, I'm going to check my phone or, um, I'm waiting in line for something or I'm at a stoplight or whatever. It's just so easy. Like, oh, that time's not used for anything. Like I'm not doing anything, you know, like I'll just check my phone. And before you know it, it becomes this compulsive habit that you, you just can't stop. You can't put your phone down and not be itching to pick it back up. And I hate that feeling. And I recognize it when it happens and I try to work on 
moderate my usage because if you're not intentional about it, it is just going to consume your life. But I've noticed when I'm intentional about that out in public, I end up being just sad and lonely because I get this ever familiar, like I'm looking around at the other human beings, whether it's like at a doctor's office in the waiting room, or maybe I'm in line at a coffee shop or whatever it is. And I just see like, you know, the constant glow of screen light in people's faces, like they're all looking down, they're all scrolling, and there's no one for me to even have an interaction with, you know? Um, I feel like there always is though, like one or two other people, they're kind of doing the same thing. And it's like, there you are. Hey, you know, like it's rare, but there are those people that I see you, I see you intentionally not looking at your screen as you're waiting for your drink, you know? Yeah. And I just, I feel like that's so sad because I used to like, I used to be, I've always been one of those people that people just come up to you like randomly and tell you their story. But I miss those moments where like you just have, um, just first of all, free unadulterated time to just think and ponder, you know, like they say, what was that book about leisure being the basis of culture that it's that like true rest and downtime where nothing else like needs to be accomplished that like the surplus of creativity and ingenuity and um, originality comes from. And we are, I feel like we are just sacrificing all of those just beautiful gems and golden nuggets of being a human being to screens, to technology, to just being, keeping our mind occupied, which I do think can also be kind of like a numbing um, mechanism or, or coping mechanism, I guess, because it just, it does, it doesn't let you go any deeper than the screen because your attention is constantly moving, 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 moving. You can't even really focus on what you're experiencing that day, what's going on in you, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it's, it's true. Like you, when you don't have, it's kind of like that downtime when you don't have anything pressing that you need to be doing. Um, that's when I feel like the most organic connections can really happen. But if you're constantly just filling that space with screen time or with, well, like I have this moment of downtime, so let me go on my phone. And like, nobody's immune to it. Like we all do it because like we've been conditioned to actually, I was reading Mm -hmm. this study. I forget where it was from, but, um, I was reading this study, and this was probably about a year ago, but um, it was saying that on average, um, uh, people on average generally reach for their phone every 12 minutes. Um, no. and yeah, and I read that and I was just, oh, I was so sick to my stomach, but that's really the way that, um, you know, technology is, is conditioning and shaping us because we're, we're losing our ability to, to be bored and to be, um, just, silent and alone with our thoughts. It's almost like it's, it's conditioning us to not know how to do that anymore. And obviously people mm-hmm. like you and I, and people older than us remember a time when there was no, there were no phones. There was no, you know, if you wanted to occupy yourself when you had downtime, you bring a book or else you just mm-hmm. kind of, you know, or if you, when we were kids, if our mom went into the grocery store and she took like an hour, like you would like fog the glass on the window and drop funny faces. Like there was nothing to occupy <laughs> or your draw time, the baby just, feet. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just like stupid stuff, mm-hmm. right? Um, but now people don't know how to be bored. And so I look at just the way that, you know, those were skills that we, you know, we knew how to be bored as kids. Like we knew um, for even for a, a portion of our adulthood, like that it's okay to not always be occupied. But but now it's even hard. Like I find myself struggling sometimes with like, oh, I have this moment of downtime. Like, okay, let me see what's happening online. When really like that is just such a waste of time. And it's such a, um, it's just a black hole. Like it just drags you into it because like all of a sudden you start and then it's been like half an hour and you're like, gosh, I had so many things to get done. Or there's so many other constructive things I could have been doing in this time. Um, or I could have called a friend or, you know what I mean? Like all these different things. And so I think about what it's doing to adults. And then I think, well, what about these children, like kids that are just growing up with these screens? And I I know that you said to me, um, a few months ago, we were having this conversation that, um, one of your really good friends, husbands was talking about iPhones and he was talking about how, um, he was like pointing to his brain and he was like, this is a human brain. And then he pointed to the phone. He's like, this is a computer. And then he pointed back to his brain and he was like, this is not a computer. Like we're not meant to be looking and processing images and words and 
you know, things at a million miles a minute, um, the way that a computer does. And yet that's what we're being conditioned to do because we're constantly sucked into our phones and going from image to graphic, to words, to opinion, to comment thread, to like whatever. And it's just, it's exhausting and it's not good for us, you know? Um, and, and it's kind of like this double-edged sword too, because the more that we spend time trying to find, um, validation or affirmation or support on social media versus, um, spending the time to build that within the homes of other people in our own community. It's, it's just like the more isolated we become and the more time that we're online, we're not doing it in our communities around us. And so then, um, yeah, it's just like this, this whole, this whole thing that it's like a hamster wheel. The, the more that you do it, the harder it becomes to, to build that community around you. And yet the more isolated you feel. And so you keep going back to it, but yet it's not really getting you anywhere. It's just making you more isolated and more lonely and more, um, without real authentic community, but it's giving you the guys that, Hey, I'm connected to people all over the world. You know what I mean? Cause that's where everyone else is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's so endlessly frustrating. I think it's so good. We're having this conversation, even though we don't necessarily have a concrete answer or roadmap of, you know, here's how we fix this. But I think this is something that whether or not it's come to our, our conscience, I think a lot of us are thinking in our subconscious it bothers us and we don't know what to do about it and we don't know how to talk about it. So I'm glad we're bringing it up. Um, and one of the things that really struck me, so super humbling moment last year, I, as many people in their thirties, as our bodies slowly start to deteriorate may have experienced, I slept, you know, like a millimeter different than I did every other night and dislocated my Atlas. And woke up and my friend said it looked like I was trying to run underwater <laughs> getting out of bed. Oh my gosh. I couldn't, I couldn't get out of bed. It was so scary. I like, I woke up and was like, why, why is nothing working? Like, why can I not? <laughs> so I, I went to my doctor. I ended up having to get x-rays of my neck and I was like, wow, that this escalated quickly. And, um, it turns out that I had dislocated my atlas which is the, the, I think it's the first vertebrae or it's the bone underneath your skull that like literally holds up your skull. And so I was like, how did I possibly, like only me would do that while I was sleeping, first of all. But I was like, how did this happen? And he said, well, it's probably years of like bad posture driving. And honestly, he said, we see this a lot with a lot of different patients and it's from looking down at your phone so many times a day. And I like, I was like slightly, I know I was slightly comforted by like, oh, it's, it's other things like that you can't help, you know, like driving and like everyone has bad posture, but it just haunted me that like, I have this physical effect in my body that like, I think all of us think that we're not as bad as like the people that are just like, like can't put their phone down. Like, I'm not that bad. You know, like I just like, we like numb, like push it away and like make excuses. And like, here was this very tangible example in my life of overusing my phone and I like I actually had to do a little bit of physical therapy and they were gonna fit me for one of those like <laughs> neck braces that kind of makes you look like a cat that just like got neutered or something this way and that oh thing around my gosh. and I was just like it was so humbling and I was like wow if this is not a wake-up call I don't know what it is and I started to talk to um, my doctor, who's just such a wise man. Oh my gosh. And we, whenever I'm like doing physical therapy or whatever I'm, I'm working on, he, I'll just pick his brain, and ask him questions because he's super wise and he's been in the field for like 40 years and he's really committed to, this is not a pitch for him. I'm not going to say his name or anything, but he is really committed to actually healing the human person and not just getting you on, you know, medicine and cutting a paycheck from big pharma, whatever. Um, and I was asking him about, I was like, wow, so a lot of people have, have done this, have dislocated their atlas. Like, what what do you think is going on with, you know, so I just started picking his brain. And he was talking about how communities used to be, and there's a lot of studies. I've done research since since him saying this, and it's true. Communities used to be between like 130 and 150 people. And so in that context, number one, you knew everyone. You knew their quirks. You knew what made them different. You knew what their strengths were, what their weaknesses were. You knew their family, you knew their relationships with people and like who they preferred and who they didn't prefer. And everyone was the best at something and everyone had something that made them distinct and unique and that they could pride themselves on. And 
and like a strength that they could offer the community. And he was talking about how now there's just this loss of um, almost your place in the world because the community you're filling your brain with is essentially the world through the internet. You know, like we feel this sense of like intimate connection, even to celebrities, because we're seeing inside their home. We're hearing about their most intimate relationships. We're hearing them talk about their wife and their children and, and whatnot. And so even though we have no relationship with them, our brain kind of thinks that we do. And so like, they're essentially in our brains, like tribe of who we should be comparing ourselves to, um, and who we're in relationship with. And so there, it's really interesting because he was talking about our world, but especially our generation's lack of identity and how we're almost like coming up with new, like new ways to identify ourselves. And, and we see this in so many different ways, but like in the slew of amount of different genders that have even popped up since you and I were kids. Like when we were kids, it was just male and female. And this is a huge topic that we won't even begin to unpack right now. But even the fact that um, people are listing those as different options, like my doctor was just talking about how interesting that is that like we've lost our identity and what makes us unique so deeply that we are just desperate. We are desperate to find some way to do something original. Um, and find our place in the world, which is a very natural human thing. Um, but he talked about how in community that it was so important to live in this tight knit group because women needed other women. They needed other moms that were going through what they were going through to even understand their bodies, understand how to give birth, breastfeeding, like child rearing, all these things that the women stereotypically did. And men needed other men. They needed other men's strength in the field and in what they were physically doing. Um, to learn how to like wield their strength and learn how to be a good husband. And like, it, like people that were going through what you were going through were physically shoulder to shoulder with you. And children learned that obedience was not just to their parents, but that they had relationships with other authority figures in their life. And, um, they were learning alongside other children that were, you know, going to school with them and all this stuff. And so, yeah, he just talked about how the way that community or the way that the world is set up right now could not be um, more, I guess, I don't know if harmful is the right word, but it's just divisive for what the human person needs to thrive. And every family is kind of their own little island. And so we're putting all of our social and emotional needs usually on our spouse, you know, or whoever it is that we live with, because they're the only person we see. And that's just not their role. That's just not their job. And it's kind of it kind of destines the relationship to sink or, or at least to suffer under all that weight and that expectation that that was never their job. And then they can't even really focus on what their job is because they're, they're being your best friend, your father, your mother, your everything, you know, at the same time when their job is just to be your spouse. Um, yeah. I thought that was so interesting that we just, we don't think about how community has changed, how, um, relationships have changed. We're just, it's just happening. And it's like all we can do to kind of absorb the newness and the, the newest this, the newest that. And we're not even, nobody's thinking like, should we introduce this? Like, should we bring this possibility? I feel like that's so much as, as medicine is advanced, as technology is advanced. Nobody's asking, should we do this? It's just, can we, if we can, yes, then we will. But, but like, should we not as a human race sit down and discuss if, if this is what will be best in one year, five years, 50 years, you know, and, and we're not, we're yeah. not having that conversation. We're just marching forward. Well, that's the thing. Like technology moves so fast, you know, it's like we're, we're moving down this trajectory so fast. And every year there's, there's more updates, there's more gadgets, there's more, you know, technological advancements, there's more things to connect more people. I just saw, uh, a, um, oh, an ad on my Facebook the other day for, um, I think it was Oprah Winfrey and she was going to be like interviewing Barack Obama, but of course, because of COVID, like they're not going to be in the same place. So he was in Washington and she was in California and they like did a green screen. And, um, however, it was like this new technology, however it was that they made it happen was to make it look like they were literally sitting in comfy armchairs directly across from each other with the fireplace in the background in the same room. And it looked completely real. Like, and it was not like they no were not way. even, yeah, it looks completely real. And, um, and it's just so 
technology can literally make things appear a certain way that are not at all. And I don't know, I just, I find it so interesting because yeah, you're right. You know, we're barreling down this road so fast and nobody's stopping to ask, okay, but like, what are we sacrificing? Uh, as we're going down this road, like, what are we sacrificing? What are we giving up? Like, yeah, there might be benefits. Like, yeah, like you can build a good community online for sure. But, um, I feel, I think the, um, the point is that there's always going to be a threshold where you can no longer, um, like advance beyond a certain point. And it's, it's interesting because like, I feel like we no longer, you know, we don't know our neighbors anymore, but we know just a little bit about everyone that's on our friends list on social media based on what they post or what pictures that they, you know, put of their families or what we see that they, um, are doing in their lives or opinions that they have. So we know just a little bit about everyone on our friends list. So it makes it seem to us like we know them or we have them all figured out as a person. When in reality, we don't really know much of who they are at all or what their life is really like at all. If we don't have any relationship with them outside of social media, like if say you knew this person in college or in high school, um, but you know, you haven't talked to them in 10 years, but now you see like what they're doing on social media and you think, Oh, like I know everything about this person. Like, no, we really don't know anything about this person. We don't know what their day-to-day life is like. We don't know what their struggles are like. We don't know what their innermost thoughts or feelings are. Um, we just put together like this summation of like, Oh yeah, I know who that person is. And then we like, like form an opinion or whatever. And, um, and it's so interesting because it's like, we just have these like surface level, um, appearance of relationships with all these people online when in reality, like they're not really relationships at all, you know? And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I I do think it's very interesting because, you know, you were talking about, um, how, you know, back, um, you know, years ago, communities were very small and tight knit and everybody had a role and everybody had a place and everybody knew like, you know, who was the butcher and who was, um, the, the, the seamstress and who was, you know, the person that you went to for, um, you know, like maybe a midwife or whatever, everybody knew like who was the the go-to expert in their own community, which I think is so mm-hmm. beautiful. And, and it's kind of like, it's a two-sided coin. I feel like, because, you know, with, with the age of the internet, you know, say with women and fertility and all these things, like learning how their bodies work, you can go online and you can find whole communities of like thousands of women that are speaking on this subject and you can just learn and research and all this stuff, which is, which is great, but it's also still impersonal because these people that you're learning from or that you're these strangers online that you're sharing your struggles or your stories with, or, you know, your insights with, they're still just strangers and they're not in the trenches with you in your everyday life. They're not living your reality with you. They're not, you know, somebody that you could go to down the street for a cup of sugar. If you were really in a pinch when the rubber meets the road, you could tell them like, Hey, can you watch my kids? And it's hard because, um, you know, to, to really, I mean, I feel like I, I go in, um, cause San Antonio, I mean, a lot of cities are, but San Antonio is just suburbs everywhere, just huge gated communities mm-hmm. everywhere. Just these houses just packed on, you know, right next to each other. And it's like, you drive up the street and I'm, I always think I'm like, how many of these people actually even know each other? You know, like, like, do these people even know each other? It's, it's interesting. Cause my family in Florida, like we live in a, we live in a suburban, you know, community and, um, I guess what you'd call like a gated community. My family lives in a gated community there. And, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's funny cause before I went to college, uh, you know, I have a lot of younger siblings. And before I went to college, I remember, uh, sitting outside one day and realizing that none of the moms, um, were outside, like sitting on their driveways, watching their kids play together. Like when I was a kid and we (laughs) lived in a neighborhood setting and I just remember all of the moms would just, you know, have a drink and they would be, uh, sitting in a chair outside on the driveway or on the porch with other moms and they'd all chit chat Mm -hmm. and all the kids would be going up and down the street, riding bikes or doing gymnastics in the front yard or running through the sprinklers or, you know, doing like homemade lemonade popsicle stands. And it was just like this community feel of, Hey, like we like know each other. Like, Hey, we do secret Santa ding dong ditch during, um, the holidays. Hey, like we bake pies for each other. It's just, it was so, I don't know. Like to me, it was like normal when I was a kid growing up. Yeah. But then when I got to be older and then I watched like the shift that happened just as like, like phones were really starting to become a thing and the internet was really starting to become a thing. 
um, it was just very different. The experience that my younger siblings had was very different. Like they, I don't know, like the, none of the kids, like the streets were quiet. None of the kids played outside together. Yes. Like none of the moms were outside together. And, and it's so funny actually, cause I was just talking to one of my younger brothers, um, Wesley, and he is, um, he's in college right now. And he was talking about how frustrating it was when he first went to college because, uh, he, he said, he's like, people don't ever like want to do anything. It's really annoying. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, well, people are so worried about their image or like what, um, people will think of them. So like, you're like, Hey, let's go bowling or like, Hey, let's go, you know, do like laser tag or, Hey, let's go like downtown or whatever. He said, people would either say, oh, I don't really want to do that because they just were so apathetic about really doing anything. Or they wouldn't want to do something because they were afraid that, oh, well, bowling is lame. Like, how's that going to look to this person? Or nobody does that anymore or whatever. And so I was like, all right, well, so what's the alternative? And he goes, people are like, hey, just like come over and we'll hang out at the house. And he's like, but then you go over and hang out at the house and literally everybody just sits on their phones. And he was like, it's yeah. so depressing. And it's hard because hmm. when everybody's like that, who do you, like, how do you, how do you break out of that? You know? So... I don't know. I think it's affecting so many people. And I, I wanted to share a story a little bit about like, too, this was kind of a gut bunch to me, like maybe hmm. a year and a half ago. Um, so I, I read a study probably about a year and a half ago and it was talking about, you know, obviously, cause there's a lot of research that's come out about how, um, a lot of screen time isn't good for kids and kids shouldn't have too much screen time and all this stuff, the, the effects of it on their brain or whatever. But there was a different study that I read that talked about the effects of um, when children see their parents constantly on their phones and what that does Ooh. to a child's development and what it does to a child's brain and their behavior and all this different stuff when a child feels like they're constantly having to vie for attention. Uh, but yeah, when their parents are basically either they're on their phone or they're or they're paying attention to their kids. And I, that just, uh, I read that and it really just, I don't know. It was like a sobering, like, wow. Like this is not even about, um, about the technology anymore. This is not even about me. This is about like, what is best for like my children and my kids. And I remember when Mila was probably about a little over two, um, which I always kind of like thought at that point, I, at least I thought that I had good screen time balance or whatever. I tried not to be on my phone around her too much. Um, but I just remember she started doing this thing where she would come up to me and she, if I was on my phone and she was like talking to me, say if I was doing, even if I wasn't scrolling, but I was like doing something like texting someone or, um, trying to like, I, I don't know, um, like jot down notes or checklists in my phone or whatever. Um, she would come up to me and she would start talking to me and then she would stop and she'd be like, mama, look at me in my eyes, look at me in my eyes. Aww. And she would, yeah. And she would say, mama, look at me in my, oh my gosh, I'm like going to throw up. Look at me in my eyes. And then she would say, put your phone down. And as soon as I like Ooh. realized that I was like, okay, I need to. And so since that happened, that was probably, I mean, she's, she turned three in August this year. I have really made it a point to when my kids are around to not be on my phone to say like, if I'm going to have like scrolling time or screen time or whatever, it needs to be when, you know, I'm not occupied with kids or when they're napping or whatever, because that's just not something I don't want my kids to have to, I don't know, deal with that reality of like, mom, my mom is always on her phone. Like I can never get any attention because she's on her phone doing God knows what, you know, like that is a sobering, a sobering reality. Cause a lot of times we just don't think about it. We just like go on our phones, you know? Yeah. And the, the silent message that it's sending to them is that this is more important than you. This is more captivating right. than you. This is, this right. is more worth my time than you are. Right. These strangers online, right. These strangers Ooh. online are more important than you, my family, or you, my friends, or you, the people that are right in front of me. And it's funny because you were talking about like small community. And one of the, uh, one of my favorite movies, I know it's one of yours too, is Fiddler on the Roof, because I feel like that's such a perfect yeah. illustration of like what community is meant to be like, because in that, you know, in that movie, they live in this small, uh, Ukrainian village. And like, you know, I think, um, what's his name? I'm totally blank on his name. What's his name? The Tevya, right? Tevya. 
Yeah. He, he's like, mm-hmm. he's the poor farmer. He's the milkman for the community. And, you know, his daughter, you know, the butcher falls in love with his daughter. And like all these people in the, in the small town have a role to play. They all like know who each other is. They all know each other's families. They all know, um, I don't know. They just all know what it's like to laugh together, to celebrate together, to suffer together, to be persecuted together. If you watch the whole movie, you know, and, um, there's a great part in that movie, um, when they all, um, get together to celebrate the Sabbath and you, and the, 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 um, the movie kind of goes from home to home all across the village. And you see all these different families gathered around the table and singing, um, the, the Jewish hymn for the Sabbath, um, and just giving thanks and praising God together all, but all in like the, they're each individual homes. And it's just like this beautiful moment of like, wow, like this is like, this is like the beauty of what true community is where people are separate, but they're united in things that they value together, you know? Yeah. It's actually so funny that you bring that up because I had the soundtrack on repeat this last weekend as, as we were cleaning the house and my boyfriend has never seen the movie. So it's just like these weird songs about like Anna Tevka and like the dream that Tevya has that like yeah. the butcher's ex-wife or like dead wife comes back and murders that he's like, what are you listening to? Like, what? What is this? I'm like, it's a really... It's, it's a good, I understand that it doesn't, it's sad. It's okay. You're just gonna have to see it. Like, yeah. It's, it's one of those is, things you I just, love... you have to experience it. Yeah. It's like hearing the song. It like, it, it's, I'm sure I looked like a crazy person. Like Tevia's like screaming in the background about this, <laughs> this dead bride. And I'm like, oh gosh. Yeah. But no, I think that's a perfect example. Like, and that's one of the reasons I love that movie. And it's so nostalgic is because it just, it just beckons us, you know, to what, to what our hearts really just ache for in community and what is so missing from, from day-to-day life in this day and age. Like you were saying with the moms out on the porch, like that is like quintessential childhood to me. Like I thought it was just the Midwest. So I love hearing, like, I know you lived a bunch of different places growing up, but that's really what it was. Like I grew up on a cul-de-sac. And so we had like basically a built-in little, like baseball diamond or like we played kickball all the time or whatever and um the kids were just like a pack of wolves you know we were always just like together whatever we were doing and the dads like we would usually in the summers when I was little little the dads would end up having like water balloon fights and stuff and they would like outdo each other in like the launching techniques and like the like squirt guns and like you know they just like were in pranks and remember my parents having like card parties and um all sorts of stuff with other couple friends and yeah. like bunko nights bible studies bunk yeah oh my, my mom gosh. was a big bunko like, aficionado oh my gosh or twister i remember my parents and all their friends playing twister and like laughing so hard that they woke us up and me being like oh you guys are always <laughs> are always having so much fun, you know, right. like we have or just to like the bed. simple, yeah, just like the simple dinner parties that our parents would throw and have like, you yeah. know, adults over and then the kids would go to bed. Like, I just feel like it's something that's not prioritized as much anymore. Not to say that it doesn't happen, but it's just not something that's in the forefront of our minds anymore. Yeah. It, it's like a, it's like a whole thing. It's like an event, like a once or twice a year event when people throw parties now. And it really, it just shouldn't be, you know, like I remember mom stopping by like or even my mom, like I remember if it, if someone was bringing someone else a dinner, they would like sometimes like make double and then drop one off at our house. Or like if my mom was making muffins, she would always put like five in a bag and like take them down to Eric Wasson's house, you know, at the end of the block and like just stuff like that, you know, or like I knew which mom on the block made the best popcorn or like the popcorn that I liked. And I would always ask to go to their house after dinner and watch a movie with them because it's like she uses butter and my mom only uses salt, you know, like that kind of stuff that you just don't you just don't hear about anymore people just don't live life like that and i was yeah. actually two thoughts i was listening to this podcast um it was entitled something about like bu- like building a connection to your location and it was talking about how um with modern convenience and going places so fast we end up not really knowing how to develop um like emotional roots in where we live and we're always looking for like that better location, like paradise on earth, you know, like people are looking to move to where the ocean is or to Denver or like, um, just someplace really beautiful and really adventurous. But 
the people that do move to those places end up being really lonely because most people are married to the outdoors or kind of constantly on some sort of adventure and there really isn't a sense of community. And so um, it was really interesting, but they talked about if you can't slow down your entire life, try to slow down when you can. And so they talked about like going on walks, like is one way to kind of develop um, a sense of like knowing and being connected and forming a bond with your community and like knowing certain routes. Like you get to know the dogs of the neighborhood. You get to know like the elderly of the neighborhood. You get to know the kids that come to the parks, you know, like all sorts of different stuff. And um, I actually did that the other day. I ended up biking to do my errands because I live in a small town now. So I got to like bike to the post office and my phone ended up dying from the cold. So I didn't have a GPS and I had to like tap into shoot. Okay. I'm on 16th street. And I know we live somewhere close to second. So like, I've got to go. And I had to like figure it out how to get back. And I was just like, I just, it was frustrating and I was cold and stuff, but like I ended up being really grateful for it because I was like, wow, I knew way more about where the streets were and how to get back home than I even realized. And I ended up I just saw a couple sweet moments. Like I walked past or I biked past this um, house and there was like an old lady who was just looking out the window and I made eye contact with her and wasn't sure if I should have like looked away like, oh, sorry, I looked into your house. But she like smiled and looked at me like she was glad to see me. And I waved back mm -hmm. and there was another couple that was just like, like, just like kind of hugging and rocking back on their front porch. Like maybe one of them had a bad day and like had just greeted the other one that came home and um, it must've been the husband who was like facing me and he kind of like waved like, Hey, like, don't mind us. And just these little moments. And I, it just like kind of struck me of like, okay, it's not lost. You know, we just have to pick it back up again. It's here. We've just set it down. You know, we just have to be intentional because it's not going to be automatic anymore. You know, we have to choose yeah. it and bring it back in, into our life. Yeah. Yeah. And these little moments, like those little connections are what living is all about. Like that is what the human experience is all about is making those little like connections with people. It's, it's funny because my mom, um, you know, she had a very big heart, um, for, um, the elderly. And I think that she, she passed that on to me. I just love the elderly. I just think that they're, they're just so full of so much wisdom and and stuff like that. But she was, she was really full of love for the elderly and uh, she really loved Meals on Wheels, which for anybody who doesn't know what Meals oh. on Wheels is, um, it's a, uh, a program that basically, um, you can volunteer to take, um, meals that have been made by say members in a, in a parish community. You can volunteer to be one of the drivers to drive off and drop off different meals, um, to different, um, mm -hmm. people that are homebound or disabled or, elderly that can't leave their homes and they need, um, just a little extra, just a little extra help. And so she used to love to do that. And I remember, I think one year when I was home from college, she asked me a couple for like a summer, uh, she asked me for a couple Thursdays. Cause I think that's when she did it. If I wanted to come along and I was like, okay, sure. And so I, I want to say that every Thursday she would go to like five or six different homes and drop off meals. And um, you know, you're not obligated when you, when you do meals on wheels to stay in chat or anything like that. Like you're basically, your only duty is to drop off the meal and leave. Like you're just, you're just a delivery mm -hmm. person basically. But, yeah. um, my mom had developed such beautiful relationships with each one of these people on her route that she would literally stay for like minimum a half an hour at each one. And so what normally would be maybe like a, an hour or an hour and a half trip would be like a whole, like afternoon, like four hour affair, because she would just stay and chat with these people. And they were so happy to have somebody invest and take the time to not only bring them a, a home cooked meal that was made with love and care, but, um, to just care to talk with them and see like, how are they doing? And, you know, what's going on in their lives, you know, because a lot of these people, they don't, they don't have a lot of family. They don't get out much. Some of them, you know, even have, um, really um, debilitating mental conditions, like, um, you know, agoraphobia, they just can't go outside. So they, they're confined to their homes. And, um, I just learned and was so struck by the connections, uh, that such simple connections that, um, that I even made the few times helping her. And it just really stuck with me. Like that is what community is supposed to be about. Let that idea of service and giving back and just being so intentional with your time with other people. Um, and I think that that's just been lost a lot with 
um, with technology because we waste so much of our time trying to find that uh, kind of community that we feel like fits who we are or who we would like to be online. Yeah. And I feel like it's it, it becomes so disappointing to a, a degree because not to say again that you can't find positive community online. Like you can. I, I know people that have have really found great communities of women or whatever online technology could be a good tool forever. But, uh, the thing is, is that I feel like no matter how much you work to, you know, say build your brand or connect with your audience or grow your follower content, if that's what you're about, whatever, it still kind of leaves something to be desired because, um, what it's still just perfected algorithm content. It's just curated content that we portray. And it's, yeah. It's lonely and it's isolating because I feel like even when strangers, for instance, might validate your opinion online or provide you support for something that you're going through, maybe maybe you just want people to commiserate with you or people to give insight on something you might be going through. At the end of the day, like these people, again, they're still strangers. They don't know you. They don't know your family. They don't know your children. They don't know your story. They don't know what life is like day in and day out for you. And so even though it can like have the feeling of a close knit village community, it's always, always, always going to fall short from, um, this community that was once built in person with people that lived around you, that knew who you were, that knew what kind of person you were in your community, that knew, you know, what was important to you, that knew that they could rely on you for A, B, or C, you know, and it's yeah. online community. It's just not reliable for when things get hard and you need people, you know, and, Yes. It's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you see, you know, with the industrial revolution, you see this mass uh, migration to, to cities. Everybody wants to live in the city. Everybody, you know, has to be near the city. And so it's hard because cities are so impersonal. Like there's so many people that are flocking to cities and yet cities are where people feel most isolated and most alone. You're in this concrete jungle. You go from your car to your place of work to, your condo or your apartment building, like you hardly ever get outside unless you're really intentional about making time to be in nature. And, um, you know, you don't really do anything for yourself. You buy everything on Amazon, you go to the grocery store to get everything that you need. Like you don't have to really, you know, I don't know, I guess put forth, put forth like the labor to like get the fruit, like to sustain your own family. Like you're just like kind of outsourcing everything. And it, I think just leaves us feeling so lonely and so dissatisfied. And, um, it's just, I feel like it's such an unnatural, yeah, disconnected. It's an, it's an unnatural way of being in community, which is also why I feel like you're, we're seeing such a shift now where so many people are now wanting to own land and, and dreaming about having their own gardens and animals and really just like putting in the time and the work, um, to, to get the fruit of that for their own families. I think you know it's good for the soul. And I think that we've missed out a lot of that because we've just sacrificed, um, sacrificed that for other things that are leaving, leaving us feeling more and more disconnected and isolated. Yeah, that was definitely my experience when I lived in the city. Like when I lived just outside of DC and then just outside of Denver, it was basically, I mean, part of it was a safety concern, you know, like you just, it's, it's busy. It's fast. It's everyone's like, go, 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 go. And often it's not safe at night. So like you get out, you get where you're going, you come back home and that's it. You know, there's no real, there's no real possibility for community often because the neighborhoods aren't guaranteed to be safe. Um, and I feel like, yeah, there's, yeah, there's just so much truth to that. And then I listened to, um, an, another podcast of a family that moved from inner city, Baltimore, to somewhere else in Maryland where they have like a little homestead and farm now. And they were talking about the beauty of, I mean, they, they really like, they basically grow what feeds them all year long, like meat wise, dairy wise, a vegetable fruit, everything. And they're talking about how incredible it is to number one, grow your own strawberries, like just the taste of, and this is so true from the little gardening that I've done is that what you grow in the garden tastes so different than what you buy at the store. Um, but they were talking about how amazing it is to talk to their kids in February when they're like, just like, Oh my gosh, we just, we miss strawberries, mom. Like we just can't wait for strawberries. And she said it was so gratifying to wait until spring and then plant the seeds, watch 
the like watch them begin to grow watch the strawberry eventually sprout and then come to fruition and then like finally like make a jam or make a pie or whatever and like she said it was just amazing to like they couldn't just have a strawberry in february you know like we could have gone to the store and gotten one that was like you know five times the normal size and whatever but there was just something so gratifying about waiting until the season it was the season for strawberries you know and my kids had planted the seeds and watered them and wait for it to get ripe and um, and then they finally get to enjoy it. And there was, they just, she just talked about how different that sensation was of that first strawberry of the season versus if they had just run down to Walmart or whatever local store and just picked up a carton of strawberries. And I just thought that was just beautiful because we miss, I just miss that. Like you learn so much from gardening and, and working with your hands. And like, there's just something so gratifying about, you know, like that, that content, that like physical contact of whether it's it's physical labor or just being in touch with reality like what you can taste touch hear see smell but also like having a person in front of you when you're having a conversation you can see their eyes you can see the pain behind their eyes or the joy or the wrinkles on their face either from sorrow or from joy or for whatever they've experienced and their body language and just that is the way we were meant to communicate you know was one-on-one and taking in another person and when you suck all that out and it's literally just words on a page or on a screen like we've seen this in our own friendship and and, in in all the friendships in our lives that you just should not work things out over the phone if you can help it at all you know it should be live it should be in person if at all possible um and definitely with your voice because there there is just there's a thousand things to one word that you couldn't possibly ever really describe but you understand, you know, when you hear it or when you see it in another person, but yeah, the majority of our interaction, like, like Zach said about like holding up the phone and then pointing to his head, you know, this is not a computer and we're treating, we're treating ourselves like we're a computer and look at the depression rates, the anxiety rates that like people are reporting that they are lonelier than ever to the degree that suicide is higher than it ever has been. And suicide attempts are higher than they ever have been. And that, that is, that's a red flag. That's something we need to take note of and, and start to think about and pull apart and right. figure out what to do. Well, cause the thing is, it's like, you know, these in-person uh, experiences, like these things, like when you sit across from somebody, you, you read their face, you look into their eyes, you know, you, you wait to eat strawberries that you've grown until the season. instead of just going out and buying them at the store, you know, like these are the experiences that ground us and that make us appreciate the little things in life more. And if you can't appreciate the little things in life, I firmly believe you're never going to be able to appreciate the big things in life if you cannot appreciate like the tiniest, most, you know, mundane things. I really do believe that. And, um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's just crazy because we've, we've gotten away so much from cultivating that practice of making sure that the people around us are the most important thing. Uh, we just sacrifice our time, you know, with the people around us so much for time on our phones or time on our screens. And like you're talking about these anxiety and depression and suicide rates and all this stuff. It's, it's so, it, it makes so much sense to me when I think about it, because it's like, yeah, like we've never been more connected to everybody and anybody all over the world. Um, but it's such a, it's such a fake reality. We're not really actually connected to anybody. The only people that we're actually connected to are the people that we take time to, um, to have in our everyday lives, the people that we take time to write letters to, to connect with on the phone, to get together with, you know, all these like connections that we feel like we have with people online, like they only go so far, you know? And so if we're, if we're making that our main emphasis, we're always going to be, uh, feel like disenchanted and disillusioned and just isolated and lonely because our, our focus is on the wrong place, you know, and I'm not trying to knock anybody. I think everybody can fall prey to this, but I think it's important to call it out. You know, something that, um, Rob and I have been doing for probably the past month and a half, um, that we've kind of started with some friends here, um, is Sunday family dinner. And so we've been going over, um, to our, our friends' houses and Rob Cook's and so we have like a different theme every week and, uh, we just, we go to church and then we have a little bit of downtime. The kids have naps. And then when they wake up, we go to our friend's house and, um, we cook and we just chat. And then the kids, sometimes we'll have a, a, a bonfire, a, uh, you know, roast s'mores or whatever. And then 
we'll have like tea or, mm-hmm. you know, bourbon at the end of the night. And it's just like, it's so simple just sharing a meal together, but it's so, I mean, we look forward to it every week. And I think that is what, you know, community should be about. It doesn't have to be some grand thing. It doesn't have to be some, you know, once or twice a year affair. Like it should be just getting together with people that you love and, you know, people that you want to foster deeper connections with and being like, Hey, like, let's start doing this. Like, let's start, um, you know, prioritizing time together with our families or, um, you know, like, let, like, let's just foster those connections. And I think I truly believe like, no matter if you live in the city or if you live in the country or no matter where you live, like you can build community anywhere. You can find good community everywhere. Um, but some places it's just going to be way harder to do it than other places. And obviously the, the modern world that we live in does not, um, does not make it easy because our world is not really geared towards like those old school, old world, simple kind of, um, gatherings anymore, you know, but not to say that it can't be done. I just think that we have to, we have to desire and we have to put in the work and also to pray for it. Like if you want community, this, the community that Rob and I have found here is something that he and I honestly have been praying for, for years, like just to find good Mm -hmm. friends that we, um, not only like and get along with, but that share our values that are not afraid to set boundaries with our children or, um, you know, give guidance to our children. Cause I also think it's important too, for kids to hear things from, you know, other people that are not their parents. Like they need to see other adults, um, saying similar things, you know, like, and instilling similar values. And, um, you know, that's, that's part of what helps kids grow up to be confident and resilient and, um, you know, sure of what they believe and, and what values are actually important, what it takes to like have good character as a person. And, so there's just so many things and so many benefits that come from in-person community. And we just can't, I don't know. We just have to like, remember how important that is and like try to get back to that and realize that, yeah, like virtual reality is easy. It's gratifying. You can go online and get people to commiserate with you or support you or validate your opinion or affirm you in, in, in any way, shape or form at any time of day, but it's not lasting and it doesn't, it doesn't really feed our deepest desire for, um, community and intimacy with other people yeah that's so true I know we have to wrap up but one of the things we wanted to ask and I've been kind of asking some of our listeners and some of my friends this week is what where do you find community like what does actual tangible community look like for you in your daily life weekly life monthly life um where do your interactions come from what do you look forward to um what can you like who can you count on seeing um, and actually, who can you count on actually spending time with and enjoying their company? Um, so yeah, what does that look like? That whether you're building it intentionally, or maybe it's built into your life and you don't even realize you're taking it for granted, or um, it's just there. We kind of want to close this episode with a question. You know, like how how have you done this? How and you know, we want to if if you if you're fine with it, whoever you are, listeners. Um, kind of post some of those responses to give other people ideas. Cause I know that that's, that's something that's hard for me is like just coming up with the creativity of like, what can we do? Like, let's, should we start a Friday night movie night or like a Sunday brunch or family dinners? Like you're saying, Allie, like what can be done? Um, so yeah, we just want to encourage, um, on Instagram, you could use at grace is gritty, you know, or just send us a message We're also on Facebook. Um, I think the group name is grace is gritty podcast. So yeah, don't be afraid to share ideas um, and kind of discuss it and um, and jump in because we'd love to hear your thoughts and hear what you're doing or um, if this resonates with you and what ideas you have um, and, and yeah, how we can learn from you. So yeah, without any further ado, Allie, did you have anything else? No, no, I think that covers it. I would just say that also too, like take that question to prayer, like maybe ask God like how he's calling you to... Um, foster community in you know, the place that you live or within your own parish or, uh, work environment or, you know, whatever. I think that that's, that's something that there's no real cut and dry answer, like how to build community. But I think that's something that all of us should be praying about and taking to prayer and asking God, like how he wants us to play a role in that. Yeah, that's so great. And I feel like when you start praying that, then the the next step kind of often opens up in front of you. And if you're just aware of it, then you're like, oh, that's the one, you know, like, okay, that's what I do next. 
That's yeah. awesome. I love that. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us tonight on Grace's Gritty. We're so glad to have you here with us and love that you guys tune in. Um, and as always, please, please feel free to, um, yeah, give us feedback or let us know what you think. We love hearing from you. So let's end in a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Michael, the Archangel, defend us this day in battle. St. Joseph, guardian of purity and terror of demons, pray for us. Mary, Mother of Mercy, lead us home. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.